Hello, Brandon. Hello, Tom. How's your evening looking? Do you have baby in hand? How's the <laughs> attic situation? What's going on with your life currently? Uh, no baby in hand. I just put a pie in the oven and the Ooh. attic is immaculate. Wow. <laughs> yeah, how about you? Mmm, I can smell the pie from here. Mmm. What kind of pie did you put in? Uh, cherry pie. Ooh, particularly yeah. nice. Yeah, I've been eating a lot of extra cherries this week as well, so... Yeah, Good time, time for cherries. Most definitely. Most definitely. So do you do you have a box in front of you? I'm gonna grab it. Okay. Uh hold on, let me grab it. Terrific. Dude, I have a humongous <laughs> box in front of me. It is a big box. Oh, it's awesome. It's been surrounded by other boxes, so it's had a lot of company mm. <laughs> since I received this. Very good. Uh shall I begin? Why not? Okay. Uh, for your listeners out there, I have a giant cardboard box <laughs> in front of me, the size of an extra large eight head VCR, if that even exists. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. And I'm cutting it open with, um, if you've ever seen the movie, the fan with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes, he sells these knives and he's got this knife. He calls the little pecker. That's what I'm cutting it open with. Very good. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh my gosh, already the packaging is awesome. Look at this. There's some sort of uh, red silk bag that it comes in. I'm sure I can make a silk screen out of this and make an attic aficionado screen for t-shirts. Okay, let's pull this sucker out. Uh, three air inflated baggies for protection. Thank you, sir. Wonderful. Always good. <laughs> oh, look at the ribbon. Oh my god, I wish there were background music right now. Oh, dude, look at this. I think this is going to be my new pillowcase. The, the, the bag I'm opening is like uh, Santa Claus's pillowcase, just in case you were. I'm wondering if this is what I sent you. But let, let's continue. Let's continue with this thing. Okay. Yes. Let's believe. Okay. It is a large rectangle. It feels like a board game. And, mm. oh, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. It looks like the Philadelphia Eagles on the cover. It's a it's Blood Bowl, the board game, with like a leaping demon with a football helmet with spikes on it okay there's a football on the cover and around the football is two um like junkyard dog collars with giant spikes so i guess uh you're only gonna be able to catch this thing one time because they're definitely going through your hands (laughs) yeah Uh, okay blood bowl the game of fantasy football oh this is real fantasy football oh dude this is awesome that's so fitting because I can't stand real fantasy football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like the only one who doesn't. All right. Cellophane is gone. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. Can you hear it? I can hear it. Can you hear it? It's like opening a um, Ravel model kit with yes. all the little plastic pieces. <laughs> However, they slot together, apparently. You don't need glue, so... Oh, they're awesome. They're all little figures. Yeah, you clamp them together. Dude, this one guy's got claws like the Predator. Oh, yes. it's awesome. Oh, yes. Dude, thank you, Thomas. This is friggin' awesome. Oh, that's all. Uh, the least I could do. Oh, dude, look at the little stands. There's about 45 die in here yep. of all different shapes and colors. And I think there's a 16-sided dice, which is particularly rare in there. So Yeah, looks like the ride the Gravitron if you've yes. ever been to an inbreeding uh, <laughs> country fair. <laughs> it's like a, a way for gypsies to collect pocket change. Very cool. Uh, dude, this is awesome. Okay, I'm going to dig into this tonight. 
This is great. There's like tons of boards. Okay. I'll leave this for now because my description can't give you the real justice Smell is of the pretty visual. Good too. It is good. Yes. Mm, dude, it smells <laughs> awesome. <laughs> dude, it is awesome. My friend, uh, I was talking with my friend last night, and uh, we were like digging up crossbows and catapults all uh-huh. over eBay. And so this is this is awesome that I got this tonight because I was really trying to resist buying things that I already have. Yes. I, I'm, I'm the subversive uh, bad influence friend here. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Dude, the figures are awesome. Yeah, they spend a lot of work on the figures for this edition. Oh, they're friggin' awesome, man. Dude, thank you. Look at this. This one guy's got like um. Man, there's just like another predator claw, but with three blades. Oh, I love it, yeah. man! It's like a, it's like a Wolverine. Yep. <laughs> okay, here goes the cover. I'm putting the cover back on. I will dig into this. I will take pictures. I will Very take video. Good. Yes, thank you. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Not at all. The least I could do. Actually, I think it was a series of Wikipedia jokes made on your part, and I thought I'm just going to send him a copy of the game. I didn't. Even, I've never heard of this. I've never yes. seen it. I had no clue what this was. Who makes this? This is uh, made Games by- Workshop. It's made by the same people that do the Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 franchise. So, yeah, okay. it's made by Games Workshop. Dude, it's really cool. Yes. You know, my daughter's been playing all day with the figures you sent me. Ah, very good. Stuff oh, young. She, oh, she loves them. Sets them all up. Takes them all down. Sets them up. Drags <laughs> the centipede all over the carpet oh, like, yeah. it's a, like it's a car. Yes. <laughs> They're very brutal good. to step on. Very good. <laughs> I think she's probably at the bottom end of the age range. Um, she's not putting them in her mouth, is she? She's past that time period, right? She's yeah, two and a half, yeah. kind of. Yeah, two uh, yeah, two, two in like two months. Ah, she's, uh, okay, be careful with the figures in terms of like any. I, they, normally, they're not lead anymore. I think they're, they're no longer lead. So I think all of those, I'm pretty sure, are going to be some pewter alloy. The worst she could do is, um, you know, injure herself in some way, but. She should be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm always with her. Very good. Very good. Do you have uh, any fort-related stuff? Can she build castles yet, or is that that's coming? Coming very soon. Any what? Castles, like forts or these kind of things with the figures. No, but I did build a fort, and I was actually shooting a video of it. Um, it's actually, uh, <laughs> well, it's actually, if you watch Game of Thrones, I'm mm. sort of obsessed with the moon door. I don't know if I mentioned this before. You did, you did previously, yeah. That was your favorite uh, character in Game of Thrones, was actually the anti-character that is the moon door. Yeah, I love I love the moon door. And uh, so I built like a moon door playset. So mm. uh, so you'll get it. I'll get a taste of that on my, uh, I'll put it up on YouTube at some point Pretty here. Good. <laughs> So I, I won't ask any questions because no doubt all will be revealed on YouTube. Let's see yes. that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So we have a long list of topics here, some which you contributed, some which I contributed, some which a listener contributed. But before we start on the topics, I think maybe a couple of recordings ago I mentioned that occasionally vicariously I play this game associated with like beach houses and these kind of things. And I've been looking on the East Coast recently, in particular... Oh, what was the name of the, I think it was called American Ultra, which is a film that I'm not going to recommend, but my wife was watching it last weekend. I was pretending to watch it with her. But in real time, <laughs> what I was actually doing was looking up hunting lodges in West Virginia, because I thought this is an area, in terms of rail, West Virginia, very, very heavily rail populated. 
In terms of um, moonshiners and these kind of folk, also very important. But um, I'm interested in you've you've stayed at both in hunting lodges and beach houses in various parts of the east coast. You mentioned Maine. How how far south have you stayed in hunting lodges and beach houses? Only North Carolina. Oh, okay. That's the far, yeah, that's only the farthest south. Okay. Uh, yeah, mo- mostly it's up up I guess up north you would say um, yeah. Vermont, Maine, and um, and then a lot of beach houses uh, is primarily Jersey, South Jersey. Yeah, yeah. I think Virginia Newport News was a place that I looked at. Oh in yeah. In terms of really like almost on the, this is the thing. I mean. You're never really sure how long the beach houses are going to be there, but I guess it's still worth considering. And, um, yeah, there are a number in... I'm, the main thing I'm looking for is really interesting areas that have some possibility to have these things rented out. But I found this amazing hunting lodge in West Virginia that was... Uh, it's in, like, the bend of a river, and it's just basically mountains all around it, and it's a big rail town. I thought to myself, this is... The future. <laughs> Possibilities. Now, is this something you want to move to, or is this just a vacation spot? I think it's interesting, actually, because my view is, um, your, our mutual friend Art Webb and I periodically talk late in the evening after we've played a long game of D&D, associated with how corporate America, and in particular the tech culture within corporate America, is just like the mafia. People get whacked, they, you know occasionally people move into other families, but usually you're just waiting for the inevitable to happen, either prison time or getting whacked in some very <laughs> formation with corporate America. So it's nice to have these... I have a co-worker that bought a farm in Kentucky, and he just runs this farm in Kentucky as something to do while he, you know, whiles away the hours here. So I don't know. I think for me it's... A thing other than all the other things that we're told about. I mean, I, I could buy a beach house in this area if I wanted to invest some time in looking. But I think there's certain things. I mean, let's talk about your experiences in hunting lodges in particular. Because this is, when you go into a hunting lodge, how big is the hunting lodge? Is it just you and some buddies? Or are you in yeah. like a space with a bunch of other people? Is it more like a shack as opposed to a lodge? I mean, what's, what's the perspective here? Yeah, it's more like a, a really dated, uh, I wouldn't say a shack, but mm-hmm. it's um, untouched by time. I mm. think it makes it better. You know, Definitely. nothing. If, if it's all new stuff, that's yeah. kind of like well, that's cool to look at on like a home show <laughs> redo channel if you yeah. like that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, I, I definitely like you know things to be old, untouched, and I, and I and I don't even hunt. I just like the winner. <laughs> Yes. And I, I have like no interest in hunting whatsoever. Uh-huh. So I'm like, uh, if you guys want to go fishing, I'll drive the boat and, um, that's cool. And then we could just hang out and, uh, shoot video. I guess that's the only thing I'm shooting. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a, a, a smaller place. So everybody's got to mm-hmm. hang out together and definitely, um, something without recessed lighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. just want regular light lamps. Yes. You know, um, or or even like kerosene lamps or something, but but you know, uh, small small's good, dated's good, mm-hmm. and um, you know, definitely not in a populated area without question. You, you know, I mean, come on, I don't even want to be near like a shopping center. It's yes. it's it's yeah. So and you know me, I love shopping centers, dude. Mm-hmm. I go somewhere. That's all I want to do. It's I'm a like, question tonight coming up. Let's just submit a question. So it's interesting. <laughs> all the stuff I look at are built. I mean, 
our house was built in 1912. My view is that houses worth owning stopped being built after about 1930. Like, the Depression for me is like the end point for houses worth being built. So the stuff I'm looking at is all 1920s built. The hunting lodge in West Virginia was like 1920, I think. Okay. All original, like, brickwork, wooden floors, you know, just the usual kind of stuff that you expect in these kind of environments. So, You know, um, Art has, his family has two cabins in Vermont mm. um, on, on a lake. And, um, uh, well, one is like sinking into the lake practically. <clears throat> And it is awesome. But if you put a ball on the ground, it will roll oh, yeah. with great speed to one side. Yeah. Uh, but the cabins are awesome. And man, I should send you some pictures. I, I got to dig them up because I would shoot tons of photos up there whenever I would go. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, it's so awesome. It's just like everything's untouched <laughs> thanks to his father. <laughs> and uh, there's like an eight track player there. And like the pullout bed is like from the 50s or 60s, you know, like everything is it's just perfect. And that I kind of base everything off of that. So, yeah, I'm I'm grateful they took me up there. (laughs) Yeah, I had some brief correspondence with Lee Webb through the week. We'll get to that when we talk about my garden. So, okay, interesting, interesting. And in terms of beach houses, your beach house interests tend to be more modern than that, right? 1950s builds, this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beach houses, I'm not picky about. Just to get in the area is is fine for me. I'm like, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I will seek your counsel on future recordings associated with this particular topic, and I will seek out our mutual friend Art, since he seems to be the font of knowledge associated with this. Very good. Wide variety of listener topics. Let's get into them. Jeremy Salazar asks, guilty pleasure music. Oh, do you want a tag team on this? or uh... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Should I start or should you do you want to start? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I have a track on an album. The Wombles were a ch- children's television show in the 1970s, and I've resurfaced again. There's a track called Tobamori. You're a harpsichord fan, right? Oh, yeah. This is the best piece of harpsichord music. I actually sampled it in a track that I created called Peter Greensuit, which I will put at the end of this recording. I might actually yes. put it... <laughs> I, I, because yeah anyway beautiful popsicle trick when i'm having a bad day at work i just put on tobermory anyway um two two modern rap tracks people ask me periodically because they know i like older rap what people should listen to the migos t-shirt these are both videos worth watching as much as they are music worth listening to and ray schmurder which is drummer's ear or ear drummer's backwards anyway they have a song called Shake It Fast. Are you familiar with Juvenile, what's it called, Back That Thing Up? It would have come out in 2000, perhaps? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's course. like the quintessential ass-shaking video. This is a modern adaptation of that. I think probably best played at quarter speed because there's a lot of stuff going on. They're my three. I, I, we were supposed to tag team, and I go three in a row. Uh, <laughs> How about you, Brandon? What, what are uh, yours? Dude, I like this. uh I'm t- are we doing like weird songs? I don't know what guilty pleasure music actually means, but I guess I'm doing weird. Like I'm slightly embarrassed to talk about these songs, but I'm going to put it out on Attic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. I like this song. I think it's by the Tornadoes. There's no mm. vocals in it, and mm. I think it's called Telestar. It's like a really weird, like '60s song, but mm. I I like um well I like a lot of Sam Cooke. I'll I'll play that a lot and um just weird 50s 60s music basically um 
Yeah, I like that Telestar song. I love Richie Valens. I I, I love and nobody else wants to hear that when when <laughs> what what you know. And also, you know what I really like, and nobody else seems to have an interest in this. If I go to a concert, which I don't, mm-hmm. I I would prefer to hear like the same song like three times in a row. Like I can drive for like four hours and listen to the same song. Yeah, no, I do that. I, I yeah, think it's, yeah, that's certainly. I have everything for a period of time iOS broke the repeat functionality that I had through whatever player I was using. <laughs> and it took like six months for me to learn how to do repeat on the latest player because it's just the way I listen to music as well. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Smith wants to start a regular The goaltender. On, yes. <laughs> Our friend Dave Smith that comes to us from a variety of different locations. He wants a regular segment. What was the regular segment that you discussed that we were going to do like every three or four? What was it? Um, I'm thankful. Oh, I can't remember what it was. I, it was I like, did. Yes, you had this thing where we were, we would give each other com- compliments time. That was what it was called. Oh, we're going to do compliments do. time this week. Maybe next time. <gasps> yeah. But Dave right. Smith wants a regular thing. He wants regular movie recommendations. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Oh jeez. You know what? I got so sick of my cable mm. this past week, and um, so I just dug out DVDs, which because mm-hmm. my attic's cleaned out. So I put on Kingpin, mm. and I also watched Heat. Um, oh yeah, I remember Heat. Yeah. I watched Heat in about thirty minutes, though. I got to I got to fast forward through stuff. I can't take it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, regular movie recommendations, oh, dude. You go first. I got to think of something. So I was going to recommend Dust Boat. I love Dust Boat. I've got a bunch of U-boat related stuff in front of me, but I am really jaded about modern cinema. And I was on whatever the, I don't know what it is, the Apple TV movie, Apple iTunes movie site, whatever it is. And right. it had like new directors and I posted down. There was a movie called Son of Saul and it is probably going to be in my top five of all time. And I've just watched it. I've watched it like three times in the past 36 hours, maybe 48 hours. Anyway. I think this movie is absolutely unbelievable. It's about the Sonder Commandos. It's it's a relatively deep and somewhat disturbing topic associated with the Second World War, but taken to, like, an extreme. And the Sonder Commandos were basically the Jews that had to fuel the fires in the death camps. Okay. So it's a very dark topic, but it's filmed with two effects that I really like. The first is, um, like, a fog of the mind. So you're basically just looking at the guy's face with kind of blurred surroundings for almost all the movie and the second thing is that the guy only has partial knowledge of things i absolutely hate watching movies the entire plot is laid out in front of you it all makes perfect sense you're told explicitly oh this has to happen and people have like curious conversations to explain eccentric parts of the plot this is a film that makes you've got to pay attention to little bits and you've got to watch it again a couple of times to get everything but yeah i think it's a beautifully filmed it's just a brilliant film. And for the stuff oh, that I gotta you watch like, it. For the stuff that you like in the Clockwork Orange, and there are certain elements of other films in it, but and also what I talked about with um Wonderland, the whole slowed down motion stuff at the end with the metal bars, it's got all of that. I'd recommend to Darken Room watching it. It's not that long. I mean it's not like a three and a half hour dust boot, which is the film I was gonna recommend, is like three and a half hours long. And it's I watch it over maybe two or three settings. But um Son of Soul it's a hard film about a very serious topic done in an amazing way, and it's so much better than all the other crap that you watch about the Second World War. So, in a new film, 
that's my recommendation. Okay, I'm going to go opposite here, mm-hmm. and I definitely want to check. Is that on uh, Netflix, Tom? No, or is unfortunately it streaming? it's not. It, unfortunately, it's only available on iTunes. And my suspicion is I bought it, but my suspicion is it'll be available to rent in some ridiculous time. So I don't I'll know. get it off eBay or something. Yeah, I'm sure there's a way to get it. So I'll, yeah, uh, um, you know what's an awesome movie? Witness with Harrison Ford. I like mm-hmm. that. Yep. I just bought that disc. Um, and uh, oh, dude, when they shoot Danny Glover and he's smeared down the wall. Oh, spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> we ruin films for you, so you don't have to watch them, listeners. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna save you, save you two hours or three hours or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If someone decides to put the movie Monument Men on, just leave. Yeah. Just get out of there. It's this is horrible. the antithesis. This is the is, Son of Soul is the antithesis of Monument Men. Yes. Okay. It, dude, it's so bad. I don't even think the cast members are on the same set in this movie. It's I don't even. It's so bad. It's, it's one so of these bad. films. The thing with Monument Men was it was filmed and they took two years to release it. There was another movie, Zorro. Where they filmed it, and then every time I'd go to the cinema for like three years, I'd see the Zorro short, and I'm like, when is this fucking movie coming out? <laughs> when is it coming out? Because I've been seeing this thing for three years now. How bad can this movie be that they can't actually pull the trigger and release it? Dude. Yeah, Monument Men was exactly the same. Exactly How about, same. uh, I was a huge fan of Deadwood, and it's mm-hmm. been like a decade where they're like, ah, the Deadwood movie's coming out next year. I'm like, okay, can you just stop lying to us and just yeah. say it's not coming out? Yeah. Like this year, they were like, ah, HBO does a deal for Deadwood. I'm like, you already have my subscription money. Just stop lying to me. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so- you know what? Mo- modern movie, sorry mm-hmm. uh, to cut you off. Hardcore Henry. Um, mm. I, n- no one has even like mentioned it to me. I, mm-hmm. it's like, no, I'm, I liked it. I, I was I was laughing. I was like, it's totally different. And I was laughing. There's a lot of funny stuff in it. Uh, I really uh, I like that. So if you don't watch Hardcore Henry, especially if you like first person shooters, I mean, mm. that's that's all it is. So, okay. yeah, it's just a fun movie. I watched Kentucky Fried Movie in the past couple of weeks based on your recommendation. <laughs> no, dude. And what did you think? Sat down with my wife to watch it. Yeah, I think I've seen... I must have seen it before. I remember seeing it before, but I didn't remember how much of it was the Kung Fu movie. Oh, that's a huge part. Yeah. Have you seen Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee? Yeah, I think I have. But again, you, it's a movie that I've probably seen when I was about 18, so I haven't if you seen don't, it since. Yeah, you, you got to know that really well. Mm. And, and then there's so many, you know, so much in there. But um, I like the Harry Krishna skit. With the it's it's Willer time where they're drinking yeah. beer. <laughs> that is like that, that thing is so funny, dude. Uh, I also saw Clockwork Orange again. I've seen Clockwork Orange maybe three or four times. It always strikes me that this is like the future still. Like it's yeah. still you know as the kids in Florida <laughs> laugh at the drowning man. Yeah. My my perspective is this is Clockwork Orange, right? It's only a matter of time before we're all killed by you know miscreant <laughs> kids. <laughs> Yeah, I like Clockwork, and um, you know what? Uh, another good movie, and it takes it. It took me like two times to be like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and watch this again. It's taking friggin' forever, but I really like it now. Is Barry Lyndon, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Kubrick film. I re- that's like it's like three hours, and okay. uh, but I love it now. It's like uh, you don't even have to touch the remote for so long, and there's a lot of funny stuff in there. I don't think it's intended to be funny, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it sure is. <laughs> After I'm done recording with you tonight, I'm going to see Dunkirk. I'll let you know what I think. Dude, I was just talking to my neighbor about that. Yeah. 
that's a film where if it was done right, it could be really good, but it'd be so difficult to do it right. So that's my caveat with it. And I already remember in one of the shorts they had the wrong weapons. And I, I can deal with that on some level, but it gets... What was the recent tank one that had the uh, the pretty boy, who's now no longer so much of a pretty boy in it? Oh, what's his name? He was dating Angelita Jolie for a period of time. Oh, what's Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt. The tank movie. I can't think what it is. I anyway, know what you're talking about. Yeah, that was, that was so like, what it, uh. <laughs> unbelievably bad. Like, it's yeah. just like... You, if you know anything about the Second World War, please stop this film now and just appreciate <laughs> that this is a film that's loosely based on events that maybe probably didn't happen in history. So let's <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yes. Anyway. Oh, Dave Smith also wants favorite books. Ugh, dude, how about the manual to my Canon camera? <laughs> it's about... <laughs> uh, okay, I'll give you a favorite book because mm-hmm. I don't ever open books. Um... <laughs> There's a book. It's um, the author is Mark Bel- Bellomo, and mm-hmm. it's a just a GI Joe, uh, all the GI Joe figures ever released, and Ooh. it's the uh, like the price guide to it. But it's cool, and this that's is, it. This is this you, is your hard reading. This is my this hard reading. I ain't very good. This. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Sorry. So I I I have a lot of different ones, but the two that picked out because the only book I've ever sold and made money on, which is really curious because I'll buy books and then for a period of time I put them on eBay was a book called Shady Business by a guy called Byron Williams. I read it. I ordered it. It took like six months to arrive. It's the story of Eminem's bodyguard and his first two tours. And this is like debauchery that you cannot believe. It's really, if you like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, this is like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, except with, you know, 14 to 16-year-old girls and a variety of other things. It is a very strange read. I sold it. I bought it for like... 10 bucks and i sold it for like 120 dollars and i thought to myself this is a book i need to still have because we were talking about like what books do i want to keep and this is a book which i actually want to get again so i'm going to get it again i'm going to read it a a book when i went to the beach house um last year with my wife i took a series of joseph pytry books this guy basically was like a hash smuggler in the 60s and his writing is really fascinating so the king of nepal by um joseph pytry so P-I-E-T-R-I. If you like nihilistic, there's a movie called Mr. Nice, which is about a British hash smuggler, and it is a really bad movie. And based on the movie, I'm not going to buy the guy's book. But my view is that Joe Pytry probably reads better uh, in terms of this period of time. So they're my two recommendations. I will try to give book recommendations every recording going forward. Because I'm getting rid of a lot of them, and I'm thinking very deeply associated with the books that I like to read. Do you think we could do movie recommendations every recording, Brandon? Do you think that's possible? Oh, I think it is. Definitely. 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 Our listener, Alex Endel, asks, first video game you remember beating? Oh, dude, I'm trying to think if there's endings on video games on in television. I don't think there is. Does it just crash? It just keeps going. Keeps going and going. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. I feel like there's an end to it on mm. on uh, on the television. No, I t- no first video game I remember beating. Well, no, nothing. I, what year did Double Dragon come out? Is that before Nintendo? In the arcades, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what kind of Nintendo? Were the really old Nintendos? No, I think Double Dragon in the arcades. I think that's first. Okay. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I want Super Mario, but who cares about that? (laughs) 
How about you, Tom? <laughs> so I basically played games. Well, this is funny. I thought all the games that I played didn't have endings. Yeah. And when I first started dating my wife, she beat SimCity. And then she beat basically all the Maxis games that I used to play as a boy and never. I mean, SimCity is, it took her like two and a half days. And the end thing is that the super cities that you build end up taking her off. They're like rocket ships that go to other planets. That's the ending of SimCity. But uh, to answer associate with me, not all these games that I didn't beat, but my wife beat almost immediately. The Xbox game Black, because I'd never beaten a game, I thought to myself, I've got to find a game that people like rate in terms of being relatively difficult, and I've just got to invest my time and beat it. And I must have been... How old was I? I'm trying to think if it was here or in Las Vegas. I think it was here. So it's got to be within the past five years. I just thought... I've got to beat a video game, damn it. I've got to have this experience <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Screw Everest. I've got to beat a video game. And yeah, the, the video game was black. And I played it on, I think, not maybe not advanced. I played it on the second highest level of playing. And I beat it. And it took me, I don't know, probably a month or two in the evenings. The, the final... The final level was actually remarkably easy. It was like three levels from the end where it was just... I don't know what was going on. Like, I was spinning around in circles and shooting things and running, and it was just all kinds of craziness. Yeah, it's it's weird. A lot of the games don't seem like there were endings for all my early games, but I guess, like, um, you know, are some arcade games, like Bad Dudes and uh, others. Yeah, I, I remember beating Bionic Commando on the Nintendo. That was pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I called me and my buddy played Mega Man, the first one. Mm-hmm. And you get to this guy at the end, uh, this big like monster, and he kind of teleports back and forth across the screen. <laughs> and we couldn't beat him. Mm-hmm. And it took forever. So his his dad wasn't at home. We'd get home from school and his dad wouldn't be there for a couple hours. So we decided we were gonna call the Nintendo helpline and tell him and we said, you know, it's like it's like five five dollars a minute? Yeah, yeah, right. And then like ten dollars each additional minute so we call it we're like dude how do you beat this thing because we're we keep getting close but we just can't beat it and this is going on and we're like oh, come on so the the person on the phone was just like well you know you gotta really try like really hard and that was basically what they told us <laughs> you were not getting your money's worth no such a room we were so mad we were so mad i did eventually beat it but it was mm. like are you kidding me i don't even think the lady on the phone mm. had ever even heard of mega man yeah. like, try harder oh dude <laughs> yeah. but she probably said it really slowly in order oh, to earn as much out. money as possible oh yeah oh my goodness Just get to that second minute <laughs> adam sasky asks what are some songs that always bring back the same memory every time you hear it? I'll tag team up with you on this. Come on, give us the first one, Brandon. Oh man, um, Tom Petty always does. Like any of the any of the Full Moon Fever album, or like uh, Learning the Fly, always brings me to like the Boardwalk Arcades because that mm. was like big then, and there was some really good gaming going on then. So anytime I hear any of those those songs. Um, like into the great wide open probably, but mainly full moon fever. Uh, if I hear any of that, uh, that, that takes me, I'm like, that is like the perfect time. <laughs> like mm. gaming is so good. Uh, the boardwalk's so good. I'm like, ah, this is, this is perfect. That, 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 yeah, definitely that. Yeah. For me, the Beatles magical mystery tour takes me back to your favorite city of Adelaide oh. playing the record on my grandfather's stereo. 
when my grandfather passed away, he left notes for people in curious places. Uh-huh. And he must have been dead. I didn't go back to the house. My grandmother was still alive for probably a year and a half. And he left me a note in the Beatles Magical Mystery Tour. Like, it was uh-huh. really very surreal to come back to that album and I was like, huh, wow. <laughs> he was basically talking about, like, Christmas gifts that I'd given him that he really loved. And it was just, oh. like, really surreal. My grandmother said that she found, like, 16 of notes in the house. And one of my uncles found some notes. I think my mother found a couple of notes, too. But he just knew exactly what people were going to look at. And he died in about... He had basically about eight days' notice. He died of really fast-acting cancer. Oh, And I wow. think in that period of time, he just wrote notes to people. It was really strange. Yeah, really that's kind of anyway. cool. Uh, <laughs> you know song. what? If I hear um, ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, if I hear Sweet Talking mm. Woman, mm-hmm. that is definitely Art's basement, Art Webb's basement, in the winter with the wood uh-huh. stove on at uh-huh. like three in the morning. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Art's been telling me about those uh, evenings. I, I don't need to editorialize for our listeners, but I'm sure there are various strange pungent aromas and various other things, so say no more. Oh, yeah. A lot of gaming. A lot of good gaming, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, let me think for me. Oh, um, Robert Johnson, the early discography. I mean, basically, that he only recorded, like, I don't know, 20-odd songs. Such dark, haunting music. When I was a child, it really scared me. Because there was a, the album is just not even... I didn't even think there was a photo that existed of him. I saw a photo later. But the story of him being poisoned by his ex-girlfriend and all this kind of stuff when you're just listening to this wailing music... So, yeah, definitely Robert Johnson. It puts me back to the family home, Canberra, Australia, listening to this music, holding this album in my hand, just like trying to comprehend. I think he died at 23. So, anyway, your turn. Uh, uh, you know, there's this Christmas song that um, any wh- whoever hears it will call each other and just have that playing on the phone, me and my mom. Mm-hmm. It's the Barking Dog song. I'm mm-hmm. sure everybody's heard that, you know, the Jingle Bells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as that comes on that is like the, uh, the phone is going to ring once this season so let's see who gets it first interesting interesting yeah so again my grandfather again the Beatles, strangely familiar theme but completely different he made a tape for me i don't know how old i would have been i must have been 11 and the spools accidentally went backwards so the white cover album back in the ussr and dear prudence Dear Prudence Played Backwards is just <laughs> so, like, iconic for me. And I love backwards music anyway. I mean, I absolutely love backwards music. But this was, like, the gateway into backwards music for me. And back in the USSR Played Backwards is the Ceausescu assassination. Because I was in Adelaide, the newspaper always came, my grandfather read it, and then he passed it down to me. And the photographs, I mean, my family nominally, although I can't find any family history associated with this, like, people say we came from Romania... I don't think that's actually the case. But, yeah, to see the Ceausescu's bodies uh, and to listen to Back in the USSR Backwards. But I think Dear Prudence Play Backwards is just so... Like, it just represents a period of time in my life where I don't know where I was, but it just brings back memories. Your turn. Oh. Uh, okay, you know what? Um, my friend's parents got a hot tub, and they were all, like, chilling in it one night. And <laughs> they... And they somehow f- knew that I could sing all the words to La Bamba. 
And so they were like hounding me to sing Obama the whole thing. And I was like, no, no, I don't know it. I don't know it because my buddy was there. But then he ended up like going off. And I don't I don't know if they offered me like five bucks. Anyway, I sang it. I was mm-hmm. like, and they really didn't believe I could do it. But yeah, I always think of that for La Bamba, unfortunately, because La Bamba is so much better than that. <laughs> In a similar way, and I think this is probably my last one, and I might give it back to you for another one if need be. There's a now convicted pedophile called Rolf Harris, and he has a song called Six White Boomers, which is like an Australian Christmas song. And it's about kangaroos, like basically Santa replacing the reindeer with kangaroos as he flies across Australia. <laughs> and I was at my wife's grandmother's wake. My wife's grandmother was killed. It wasn't a particularly pleasant experience. And I met her cousins for the first time at the wake. And for some reason, if you want to talk about singing, I just started singing Six White Boomers. It wasn't anywhere near Christmas time. They just wanted some example of like an Australian Christmas carol that was relatively unique. Now, unfortunately, Rolf Harris has been convicted of pedophilia and he spent some time in jail. I'm not sure what actually happens to the Rolf Harris like music. But yeah, Six White Boomers being sung by me at my wife's grandmother's wake for her cousins to prove that I was really an Australian. Do you have one last one, Brandon? No, I don't. Alas. (laughs) Alas. So, uh, another question from Adam Sarsky, this time specifically for you. Have you ever been to Ocean City, Maryland? Yeah. They should change the name because you think you're going to Ocean City, (laughs) but you're not. It sucks. Mm. Uh, uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's nothing there for me it's just like an endless boardwalk with the same thing over and over I, I, it's, it's like a party town i mean when you're young it's cool i guess mm-hmm. you can ride the drunk bus for a buck it's probably like ten dollars now because i'm so old but yes i there's some cool arcades there but mm-hmm. it's just too it's too big it's too mm-hmm. long and uh nope i don't want to go back I, I am good. not i'm not going back as a matter of fact very good <laughs> this is Sorry. one which which kind of lends into one that you put down but i'm going to ask it anyway Best fast food place. Oh, I don't know. Best fast food place. Do you have a best fast food place? In this country, for a series of reasons, it's Del Taco. I like Del Taco because the tacos are far better than Taco Bell. They have crinkle cut French fries. They have serious hot sauces. And (laughs) the last time I... No, actually, probably the third to last time I went there, I went in... And some Australian mother was in there telling off her kid about how horrible American junk food was. And it just, like, brought back my childhood in spades. This woman with her Australian <laughs> accent telling this poor kid. And I was there enjoying my my crinkle-cut French fries, my hot sauces, my tacos, looking over at my wife. Just, like, this is my childhood extended in a fast food eating restaurant. Definitely Del Taco on this coast. I don't know in your part of the world. I used to have a couple in your part of the world, but they were typically diners. Like, I'm a huge fan of diners as well. I'm not sure if you are. But, um, yeah, my favorite fast food places in the East Coast were always, like, diners. Um, Chick-fil-A is really good here now. Mm. Right? Like, it is, like, it's unbelievable. It's, like, super clean, and it's, like... You pull up and like dudes come out with iPads. Like there'll be fifty people in line at lunch, and it'll yeah. move faster than like two cars at another yeah. place. But it's it's just it's always really consistent and clean. Uh, I'm trying to think. <sighs> yeah, I guess it's Chick Fil A. Uh, I'm just thinking like the main main you know fast food places, McDonald's, Burger King. I ain't touching Subway, dude. 
We've already discussed this. Let's move on. Yes. We're going to talk about expired food later. Let's just move on from this. Don't even get me started, dude. Mm. If you like Chick-fil-A, there's a chain called Raising Cane's, which I think is in Texas. It's certainly in Nevada. It's basically like Chick-fil-A, but they use um, like buttermilk-soaked chicken. Ooh, that's good. So it is just very, very, very good. It's dangerously good, in fact. Um, but yeah, it's only, I think Chick-fil-A is an up there game. Uh, but for me in this part of the world, we did go to a Del Taco in Oakland, which was a very, very strange experience. But um, yeah, it's got to be Del Taco. Unfortunately, almost all the Del Tacos are closing in the Bay Area, so we have to go far between in order to get Del Taco. But um, question for me. From Ad- Unless you've got another one. Do you have another fast food chip? No, 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 no. I was going to say you better start freezing those Del Tacos. <laughs> they don't freeze. I mean, yeah, no. I think <laughs> when it's gone, it's gone. It's just going to exist in podcast form. I'm sure uh, there are going to be Del Tacos left. They're just not going to be anywhere near me. <laughs> I think it's the cost of living, actually. I think the cost of living just weeds out Del Tacos. Anyway, Adam Sarsky asks me, Vegemite. Ugh. And I was thinking about this because oh, we've talked Tom. a little bit associated with my love of root beer. No, we talked about your love of root beer, my love yeah. of ginger beer. And yeah. the thing that I like in ginger beer is the variation. You're actually dealing with a plant and you can have like one can of ginger beer and it can have be really, really gingery, almost peppery. And then you can have another can of ginger beer and it's watery, almost like, what are you drinking? Just like soda water. So... I like things with some kind of variation because you'll get a good can very occasionally. And Vegemite's like that. My perspective is most of the Vegemite you get is like super salty, almost crusty salty. But occasionally you'll get a jar. I found the toothpaste tubes of Vegemite actually quite a bit better, which are not super salty. You get more of the malt flavors in it. And it's just a different product. The spectrum of Vegemite possibilities is very great. But on the less salty more multi Vegemite, I like. The jars typically aren't good. The small jars are always, like, super salty. But occasionally you'll get that one Vegemite thing. And the problem is that it tastes so bizarre and somewhat disgusting to a majority of the world's population that no one's really going to explore Vegemite quite like an Australian might. But my feedback would be once I get one of those, like, rare servings of Vegemite where it's not super salty, then, yeah, I could eat it with a spoon. But otherwise, it is a very strange thing. And I do appreciate why people don't understand it. If someone out there is listening they haven't had Vegemite, just take a handful of vitamin Bs, like B capsules, sit on them on a hot day for like – sit on them for, for the month of August if it's Put hot them in, in your, your part of the world. Put them yeah. in your crotch. Yeah. Let them fester till they're brown. Then smear it all over toast and tell your friends you have Vegemite. Dude, Lee Webb, Art's dad, has a Vegemite pillowcase. So it's just in your face and it's so old. Oh, it's so gross. Oh, God, Tom. I'm going to steal it from him and mail it to you. I love Vegemite. Uh, my view is actually that Vegemite is one of the few. There's this other thing that they have called Wheat Bix. I don't. It's called Weetabix over here. You could build a house with wheat bricks. It's not really a breakfast cereal. It's more like insulation. But that as well is like another Australian. Have you had Weetabix before? I've never even heard of it, no. Uh, this stuff is, it's like, it's unlike any, bre- it's not like an American breakfast cereal. It's literally like oblong cubes of, I don't know, like wheat shards kind of flattened out. You add milk to it and it just becomes like solid paste. Like, this is like more uh-huh. like paste. 
So, like everything, I mean, it's a bit like porridge. It's a bit like oatmeal where you just have to add stuff to it to make it edible. <laughs> but that and and Vegemite. But again, I think the thing with Vegemite is if you have a bad Vegemite experience, you never... But there is actually some interesting good Vegemite. People talk about Marmite as well as like um That's obviously a slightly more British derivative that's slightly sweeter. But I think if you can get a good jar of Vegemite, or like I say, these toothpaste tubes tend to be better. You get less salty, more malty. And that's, uh, Are you doing a commercial? That's the slogan for this show, right? Less salty, more malty. <laughs> anyway, let's just move on from this topic. Disgusting. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, oh, I've had Vegemite. It's not that bad. It just looks a little weird. I think if you, I mean, you can't expect it. There's no way you can. Ex- there's no way your taste sensations could anticipate Vegemite until you actually eat it. That's true. Which is why it's very difficult to describe to people who've never had Vegemite what the Vegemite experience is like. You just got to brace them. You know, what is, what bat, is bat crap called? What do they call bat Guano. crap? Does it begin with a G? Guano. Bat- Guano. Guano. Yeah, that's yes. That yeah. that's yeah. That's that reminds me of Vegemite. I don't know why. Bat guano is a funny thing. Like it's, <laughs> I described them to my wife. We had two large bags of bat guano. In the back of the car recently. And my of wife's course like, you did. This is really strange smelling stuff. And she said, what is it? I said, it's batshit. That's what it is. They call it guano, but it's just batshit. And she's like, that's disgusting. And I said, it doesn't smell like shit, though. I mean, you've got to appreciate the caves of this stuff. And again, it's like Vegemite. It's just like shit that's fermented for long periods of time. <laughs> they scrape it up and then they sell it. The owners of bat caves make their money on the crap that bat will sleep by. Oh, dude. (laughs) Oh, God. Yes. Oh, yes. Anyway. Maybe we should move on from these topics. Yeah. A a listener by the name of Save Danbel. That's his name. Save Danbel. I'm sure it's... I'm sure, like, Save is just like Dave in some culture somewhere. Anyway, he asks... Brand's favorite malls in southeastern Pennsylvania, past and present. <laughs> I don't even know. There's only like four malls I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah. Rate them in uh, descending order. Okay. Granite Run. <laughs> Granite Run, Exton, King of Prussia, Concord. That's it. Springfield's so- okay, but I don't think there's any arcade there. And there was like a huge shooting massacre there, so we never went back. Mm. that's always good uh, Springfield was pretty cool though they had like these really cool shops when I was a kid like these mm. cute like these like kids clothing stores but they had like huge slides up against the wall and so like mm. your parents could shop and then you could like do all this stuff and they, they had like toys and stuff and they were cool and that, they and had some lady like, in the UK you know instead of well they had kids players but they had men play areas as well <laughs> where they just had like I mean that's basically what a sports bar is in a mall right it's like the men's yeah. play area Mm-hmm. Sorry, I interrupted you. Continue on. Continue on. <laughs> no, no, that was a much better, much better topic. Uh, no, so that's let's the talk about the first one that you said. Granite Run was that the first one? Is that yeah, the best gra- mall you've ever been to? Oh, dude, what makes it so good? No, they're all good at certain times. Mm. Like Granite Run sucked for a long time, but it had two awesome arcades, like Aladdin's Castle and uh, I don't know Jolly Time Pocket Change. Mm-hmm. They changed names a bunch, but that was like a, a pretty cool mall. And then. um Exum was pretty good for a while. Um, 
King of Prussia is hideous now. Uh, it's it's just too big and crowded, and I don't even think there's an arcade in there anymore. Mm. Uh, Concord Mall is um, just like one floor and just one strip, <laughs> but oh. it has an arcade there. And uh, yeah, so we would just go to from mall to mall looking for competition in like fighting games. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and they're all you could hit them all in a night. You know, they're wow. like. Yeah, you you would you wow. know you got to go early, but we would do that. We'd be like, oh, there's nobody playing at Exton. Let's go up to King of Prussia, and there'd be like some really good players in King of Prussia for like MK and Samurai mm-hmm. Showdown and Street Fighter stuff. And then and then if everything really sucked, it really sucked bad, and your Friday nights wasted away, you get in the car, you go all the way to Concord, Delaware, and you get them all. <laughs> you get, go in there, and nothing was ever there going on. But mm. uh, why didn't you just all agree to meet in a single mall? I mean, that would save a lot of time, right? Well, no, we would all we would all meet in a single mall, but then we'd all gut no, no. Get but I'm mall. saying, like, all the good players, if all the good players agreed, if they wanted to play competitively, that they should all go to I don't know one of those malls, King of Prussia or whatever. Then that would have made things a lot easier than I guess. But did you just not know? I mean, firstly, let's describe let's describe the situation for our listeners, as I have a number of questions here. How old were you? Uh, like f- between fourteen and seventeen. Okay. Like, yes, yeah. Like we'd have to get a ride there, but then maybe some of the guys started driving. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, okay, between fourteen and seventeen. Interesting. And how big was your posse? Um. Well, there's like. 12 of us 10 of us wow. 12 15 but the, of of the that there's some like guys that just want to hang out in the mall so like you know we'd all go and hang out but some guys wanted to go to like you know like the the cd store the tape store mm. the music store yeah. and then some guys and then we'd all just hang out somewhere some people would go to like eat food somewhere and then there was like a group of us that would go and play games like everybody yeah. went to the arcade at one point but we basically just stayed in the arcade Interesting. you know Interesting. so but um, and we would all go there, but you know you couldn't stand the other people that you would play. It wasn't like you were friends with them. You would curse them out and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and for the most part, I mean, there's some cool people that you play with. Um, I played uh, Mortal Kombat with this guy like towards the end of like good arcading it was MK3, and these mm. guys were like really really angry at us. Me and this guy would play. I would do the joystick. He would do the buttons, or vice wow. versa. And we would play on one side because everybody – we were just slaughtering everybody. So mm-hmm. that was like kind of even out. And I remember these guys were like getting so mad and they were like, you guys are cheating. And we were laughing. We were like, do you know how hard it is to do this, dude? <laughs> like we're, it's one person play, playing like yes. – you know? We are not and, joined at the brain. We are not yeah, conjoined uh, twins here. Yeah. There's actually – there's an arcade in Philadelphia. I don't even know my way around. It's like um, – I think it was called University Pinball. I don't even mm-hmm. know what university it was. It's like – I think Spruce Street or something. It was my friend's uncle's yeah. arcade. Dude, there we, – we, his uncle would like give us, a, give us a bag of quarters and we would like bag school and go down for the day. And there it was like half laundromat, half arcade. And those were the best Mortal Kombat players I ever played. Mm-hmm. You would find some dude and – Ugh, dude, it was awesome. You just go back and forth. Uh, we would play there and like live off of like potato chips. We live off a vending machine. That was oh, were these awesome older game. guys or were they guys oh, yeah. your age? No, they were no older these guys. are oh, these are older guys. <laughs> I don't I don't even know what they're up to. But man, they got there are some good MK players there, man. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Save second question. Your earliest life memories. Oh, I can remember my sister asking my parents. 
What should she scoop the dog food out of the can with? A fork or a knife? <laughs> That's like the earliest thing I can remember. Interesting. It, yeah. Mine was being in a crib probably about 18 months in my grandparents' home prior to the one that I've talked about the most. And my uncle, who's 20 years older than me, was there and he still lived at home then. So I know roughly it had to be when I was 18 months because he moved out soon after then. I think that's my earliest memory. Holy crap, that's pretty good. It is interesting, actually, because my wife has similarly... Like, I ask this periodically to people that I meet, and the people that remember really early memories tend to have like certain like sublinguistic proclivities. They tend to be people that... I don't know. It's a funny thing because some people don't have memories until they were like five. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I know. Frequently. So, yeah, it's interesting the early... I used to record people with a tape recorder as well. That was the main thing, hence podcasts now, right? I'm still doing the same thing. But <laughs> I used to... When I was from probably two on, and I still have some of these tapes when I was two, just like recording various family members. And I actually remember doing that, but I don't know... Like, memories that are reinforced, as you say, like this one with your sister, this is yeah. a reinforced family memory because, I mean, I guess you've told your sister this at some stage... Yeah, and your sister remembers like asking that potentially, or at least it's around something. So well, you know. it's it's funny. I remember my my I was trying, uh, and I've I've always kind of done this, but I'm trying to figure out how early I can remember stuff. And I'll ask my mm. parents. I I can specifically remember this, and I'll say what year was that? You know, and um, so I'm born in '76, and I can mm-hmm. remember my parents. They let they let us they let my brothers. I didn't do it, but they let them draw all over the wall in the kitchen with pencils. I remember them drawing like spaceships and cause wow. they were going to paint, paint the wall. Uh-huh. And, um, I think that's like 78 or 79. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So yeah, I remember that. I was like, the wall was orange. You know, I can definitely remember a bunch of that, but yeah, different things. I'm like, I'm not sure what year it was then, you know, hmm. his name is Matthew Keane. He asks via Twitter. Best G.I. Joe that came with a plastic animal. <laughs> Come on, Crocmaster comes with that fat alligator. Yeah. I love that thing. And okay. Raptor comes with a um an eagle, doesn't he? Or a raptor, I guess it is. Uh yeah. Uh, yeah, of course it's Crocmaster. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I don't some of the guys come with like dogs and stuff. It's like, who yeah. cares? <laughs> yeah. Michael Shadley huh? <laughs> Playing Ghost in Graveyard or any other neighborhood games. What is Ghost in the Graveyard? I don't know that game. I don't know. It sounds like some sort of flashlight tag. Potentially so. Or any other neighborhood yeah. games. Uh, Calico tabletop arcade games. Is it Calico? Calico it must be. Tabletop arcade Calico. games. Coleco. Coleco, that's what it is. That's it, yeah. Coleco tabletop arcade games? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Like okay. like cocktail cocktail games, I guess? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, uh, he also asks about ding-dong ditching and other childhood pranks. Oh, dude. We, 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 uh, okay. We, um, <laughs> the snowplow would plow into this cul-de-sac down the end of this one street, and there mm. would be, like, um, these giant mounds of snow. And if you laid bottle rockets on them, which we did, uh, you would light them and you could knock on this one dude's door and light the bottle rockets and we would we would light it up, man. We would light them. Somebody would knock on the door and then everybody would just scatter. 
it'd be like incoming rockets. Oh, it was awesome, dude. That was that was a pretty good one. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> the neighborhood that my parents moved to when I was I don't know, I must have been six when they moved to this neighborhood was all really angry old people. And they were all professionals as well. Like, I, because I'd lived in the capital of Australia, they were like journalists, academics. There was a poet, book publisher, these kind of like crazy professions. And it was only till my, my brothers are seven years younger than me. It was only until my brothers were teenagers that all like the young, you know, teenage girls and this kind of stuff started moving into the neighborhood. So when I was a kid, the, <laughs> The most outlandish thing that I did for a very short period of time was own a dog that would steal everyone's newspapers, shoes, occasional bits of underwear and things like that. <laughs> and basically, the dog would set out every morning. I'd let the dog out normally so it could, you know, do what dogs do first thing in the morning. But actually, what it would do is run around the neighborhood and then I would come back to get the dog and there would be a pile of newspapers for a start. And then underwear, and then shoes, and then just a variety of things, which all my, like, crotchety elderly neighbours, I'd then have to go very politely to them and try to return these items. In the end, what I did was I just put them in a big pile outside the front of our house, and I don't know. I mean, someone collected the underwear eventually, but it was all pretty... um... (laughs) So, yeah, I I live vicariously through the family pet associated with those kind of things. (laughs) So... What kind of dog was it? Oh, so it was a Beagle Whippet Cross. Ah, that's Honey. pretty good. Honey was an amazing dog. I had to, like, run with her, like, four miles a day just to keep her sane. Like, she was one of these dogs which was really, really high strung. The listener and co-worker who, um, when I interview him, no doubt it's going to talk about his dog. But very highly strung dog. We used to run. I mean, I was a teenager at the time, so, you know, running four miles was nothing. One time we were running past this reservoir and she fell down a cement embankment and broke her leg. And I had to crawl down the embankment and then carry the dog, you know, four odd miles home. Actually, it wasn't that far. It was probably about two and a half miles home. And then... My parents were divorced. The dog was supposed to be, oh, we'll give the kids some responsibility kind of dog. Yeah. But I could never see that, like, my the parts of my parents' divorce was that I had to go and spend weekends with my father and my stepmother. So the dog was chained up through that period of time and I absolutely hated it. And I had to take her to obedience classes. So I was allowed to come home briefly on a Sunday, take her to the obedience class. And she was so excited because she hadn't seen me all of Saturday. She just kind of bounced all over the place. So after having her for about, I don't know, maybe nine months, my mother got rid of her. Oh. Came home from school one day and she was no longer there. And this would have very limited, this would be a repressed memory if my wife hadn't also done this to me. <laughs> oh. Probably six or seven years ago. We had a little Jack Russell Terrier. My wife had a dog for 18 years, a schnauzer, who she used to take to the Grateful Dead shows and a bunch of things. So, Charlie died. Charlie was an amazing dog. Like, he was a really wise old schnauzer. Not a full-size schnauzer, but a miniature schnauzer. So, after a couple of years, I thought, why don't we just get another dog? So, we went to the pound, and we found this little Jack Russell, and he had cats, like, running around him, whacking him in the face and what have you, and he was just fine. Now, we have cats, so the dog had to be able to play with cats. So, we brought him home. We called him Holden. I think he was called Holden already. Maybe he was called... Anyway, we called him Holden for Holden Caulfield. It's also an Australian kind of cat. After about three days, this dog completely changed. 
He started picking up the cats by their tails, throwing them around. He was just like a real little shit dog. But with me, he was perfectly fine. Like, in my presence, I was the head of the pack. But with my wife, he absolutely hated my wife. He'd bite her and do all this other kind of crap. So one day I went to work and I came home one day and Holden was no longer there. And all this repressed emotional energy associated with losing honey at 14 came back. And then I realized I just shouldn't let animals like this into my life. And yeah, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. So Sam asks on Twitter. This is Sam Buglin on, could be Buglin. No, probably Buglin. Anyway. Sam asks on Twitter, he would like to hear more about getting game high scores and if Brandon is still trying to attempt any high scores. No, I am not. Can we talk about the Mortal Kombat (laughs) period? Can we talk about being a world record holder associated with an existing video game? I mean, did you train for this thing or was this just like a continuation of your life? No, uh, Mortal Kombat is like, there's no like prestige in having the high score of Mortal Kombat. (laughs) whatsoever it just yeah. it just they it just happens, they have right? some like high score keeping place which is mm-hmm. the stupidest thing i've ever heard like how about you just get your own high score and leave it on the game why do you have to have like a place where everybody can like make stuff up so they had a high score up there and i was like well let's just uh, look at my points when i beat the game and see how many like flawlesses i can get and i was like oh okay well that's not very high so i'll just beat it by a little bit little bit and so they had like that you know that Comp- the judges out from someplace who didn't even know anything about Mortal Kombat or any of the settings or anything. Um, I actually went and the next day, like I went, I played it and I was like, okay, I beat it. And then I was like, the joysticks were so bad. I went and brought my own joystick and the guy at the arcade let me switch out the joystick. Wow. I was like, and then I just left that there. I was like, here, yeah. just keep this because the joysticks yeah. are hideous here, dude. <laughs> and, um, so the high score in Mortal Kombat is just – it's cool because you can't – I mean it's fun to try to get the high score because mm-hmm. you don't always have someone to play obviously. But there's not – like beating people is is everything. And beating people that throw you, like throwing is a mm. disgrace move at least in this part of the world. <laughs> so uh, that's that's the best that's the best thing. Um, but you defended but, your title, right? I mean you actually came out and beat the guy once he beat you, right? No, nobody beat me. Okay. The, um, it was just a high score thing. Um, okay. But you know what? I had I I have Mortal Kombat 1. I have Mortal Kombat 2. I got Mortal Kombat 3 machines. Mm. And I'm like, you know, to there's like high scores and stuff. I saw this guy online. I think he's from Brazil. He mm. plays a, he plays an emulator of Mortal Kombat, which mm. a lot of people think, "No, that's not it." But I've played emulators of it and they're they're like perfect. I, I, you know, even if you're playing with just keyboard buttons, I'm like, it's the same game. But most people don't agree with that. But whatever, it's the same game. So this guy gets like per- the the most perfect you can get with like the most amount of points for every hit. I'm like, that's mm. awesome. You know, I don't know what it's like to play, but they said that a guy beat the record I had, but then I read that the guy cheated and they like took uh, it away. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. that's okay. My information yeah. comes from Wikipedia. I'm sure it is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I realized that when I said it out loud that I was probably offending you in a way which I didn't intend to mean. Oh no. With no. That, but yes, heaven forbid anyone would assert that anything on Wikipedia was correct. So I probably oh, should yeah, right. it uh, <laughs> Mike Black, our listener, he he wrote many paragraphs. I'm only going to read out four of them. He says, "Hey guys." 
I've been absolutely loving the podcast. You guys have a great chemistry and really interesting takes on every subject thrown at you. I started listening because I've always been a fan of Brandon. I'm really glad to know he's doing well. I, it appears you're doing well. Is that an accurate assessment? Anyway. <laughs> I'm curious, have you guys ever read any choose-your-own-adventure or fighting fantasy books when you were growing up? And what are your opinions on them? I have only read the covers of them. I've seen oh, them. Wow. I actually had a few. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll leave that up to you, Tom, because I bet you have. Oh, yeah. Oh, believe me. I started reading them when I was about five. I mean, really, I went, I had a friend who was basically, he broke standardized testing. He's like borderline Asperger kind of guy. And he and I used to do the uh, Choose Your Own Adventure, but the Fighting Fantasy books in particular, which I think were made by Steve Jackson, if I remember correctly. And they were basically a gateway into Dungeons and Dragons. And we read them probably till we were about six or seven, and then we started getting dice and started playing D&D. There was a game called Shadow Warrior, which I know he references as well, but this is a different one. This is um, a book game called Shadow Warrior, and that is also very seminal, and I have the originals of those somewhere, probably up in the attic. But yeah, very important in my life. And I think it's basically reality, right? I mean, you come to various turning points in your life, and you choose your own adventure. That's one of the beauties of life. Anyway, I bumped yeah. into some Mormon kids while I was, I, I go to the optometrist occasionally. And because it's walking distance from my work, I was walking there. I bumped into these two Mormon kids riding bikes and they struck up a conversation with me. And you hear these kids, they must have been 19, I guess. In fact, I confirmed that they were 19 through the conversation. And one of them said, can we come around to your house and teach you about the, you know, whatever they say, the word of God or what have you. I looked at them and I just thought, what on earth can you, at <laughs> 19, possibly, <laughs> possibly. And then I said to them, which I think is something that you live by as well, because we've talked through the past couple of weeks about this. I said, you've got to go and find really old people and you've got to spend time with them. You've got to talk to them and get the wisdom from them because you're at a stage in your life where you can't get the wisdom <laughs> from yourselves or these kind of things. you just got to get it in the outside world. And that is what Choose Your Own Adventures have taught me. You should have invited them over and then, while they were talking to you, put out uh, Vegemite on some old stale crackers and said, let this be a learning lesson. <laughs> Here's a lesson for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. There are so many possibilities there, but I think at some stage, I think the police would probably be involved if I started that. I don't, I don't oh, know yeah. when I would stop. What I find really fascinating is when people come around, we're in a kind of transition neighborhood. And I always find it fascinating, these people that come around with their religious messages. It's always really strange. I used to, at some stage, try to invite them in. My wife kind of frowned on it for a period of time. But it's always really curious, their particular worldviews. Anyway, moving on from this. Um, Choose Your Own Adventures, we've talked about that. Opinions on the RPG genre in video games. Dude, I got a movie I forgot to mention. Oh. Um, I just Redford. watched this. Uh, Paul Newman, Robert Redford, The Sting. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that's great. It's very enjoyable. Goes by really fast. And okay, RPG There's a games. Map to, there was a modern adaptation of that as well. When I say modern, there was a 1980s adaptation of that, wasn't there? I don't know. Anyway. I never really knew it. I only just saw it a few years back and uh, had the DVD. So. Um, RPG, RPG games? games? Yes. No, they're not for me. Hmm. How about you? No, similarly, I mean, I think when I'm going to invest time, I did... Oh, Dungeon Siege. 
I played Dungeon Siege and Dungeon Siege 2 just because, I mean, occasionally I kind of get embarrassed that I don't play video games. And they were the two that I thought I'd get. But, you know, you max the characters up very quickly and then it's just kind of boring. Like, if you get sick of one character, you just take all their armor off and let them die. And then mysteriously another character will come along. So, yeah, I don't know. The video game versions, I'm I'm more paper, pencils, tabletop, miniatures, that kind of stuff. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I liked, um, it's not an RPG, but um, mm-hmm. I did like Max Payne. Mm-hmm. That was such a cool game, yeah. I used to play that on the, uh, an EMAC. When EMACs were around, mm-hmm. I had an EMAC, and it played so smooth on that. Oh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, Dark Souls series of games. Do you know the Dark Souls series of games? No, I feel like I do. No, I'm thinking Darkstalkers. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I don't. our listener Mike Black says that he named all of his characters Skeletor thanks to your work. So. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Now, now we're moving on to now we're moving on to my and your suggested topic. Let's start Ooh, yeah. with mine. We were recording maybe four recordings ago, and I was editing it after the fact, and you started talking about your pickup truck. And I realized that this is actually really fascinating stuff. Describe, for for our listeners, this is a pickup truck that you've owned for quite some time. Describe the ethos that is your pickup truck. Well, I've had had three of them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know when when we were talking about it, but they're always beaters. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, you know, what I look for in a car is like um when you get out of it at the shopping center and like you see a cart rolling across the parking yeah. lot, you don't even have to flinch. You just keep yeah. going into the store. <laughs> That's what I, you know, like I, I I like some dents on the car. No, I just always I've had a pickup truck for a while. I had two Fords and mm-hmm. a Dodge and mm-hmm. uh yeah, I get my brakes and rotors done right now. But I forget what what I even said about them. You were talking about the fact that you had a tape deck with wire coming out of it and that you would have given anything for auxiliary oh, yeah. input is what you said. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there may be an auxiliary input option on the back. I was thinking about pulling that out the other day. Yeah, there's a tape deck in there. Mm-hmm. I found a tape. It was actually um, – I found a tape. It was – I think it's all Christmas songs, but mm. they they all suck except – the Run DMC Christmas song was on there, and I was oh, like, yeah. "Yes, oh yeah!" I was like, "This, uh, this song is so freaking awesome." The co- the the commercial, the video for that was awesome, dude. Uh, that rain, that reindeer with a dog, yes. I think. Oh my god, it's so yeah. awesome! Yeah. yeah, my wife had it as a ringtone for a period of time. When you meet someone and you start dating someone, there are a few points in the relationship where you realize that this is the person that you should spend the rest of your life with. When she had that as her ringtone, I don't know. It must have been within, I don't know, it must have been within probably the first four or five years of us being together. I just thought, yes, clearly yeah. the person. Yeah. Oh, Randy MC is so cool, man. <laughs> so I know very little about the G.I. Joe universe, but my understanding is it's just like constant conflict all the time, right? There's, there are goodies and baddies, and they're just fighting it out continuously. Yeah, no one ever gets killed. Oh, it's, I didn't yes. realize that. No, they that. always parachute out. They like blow up a plane. The guys parachute out. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like anything else. The bad guy is is mad at his guys because they they mess mm-hmm. up and they can't take over the world. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's basically it. Do you ever but, imagine yourself living in the GI Joe universe? Never, never. <laughs> I don't think I've never even thought of that. Uh, no, I'm definitely not cool enough to do that. 
Um, there's some lame GI Joes though, man. I'll tell you what, Lift Ticket has got the biggest freaking head I've ever seen. I don't know, it's like more plastic in his head than his whole body. But yeah, anyway. Mm. <laughs> we live in a particularly high crime area, and whenever I hear you talk about your, I mean, for listeners, Brandon promises a lot of photos. I I can't even think. I got one video from you. That's right. <laughs> I don't think you've ever sent me a photo other than that. So really, what when my we, car broke down? Yeah, that video from the from the, uh, the supermarket. Store. Yeah, yeah. So dude, that's my car only... yeah. always breaks <laughs> down. I'm sorry, it's always breaking down, dude. But it was your always wife's car. It was a wife's car. It wasn't your yeah, car that... in this incident. Did yeah. I get in a car? It breaks down. Very good. Very good. So I have, I kind of have a mind's eye view associated with your house, but we have a very high crime rate here. I beat that by putting up multilingual signs and video cameras, and that basically removes a lot of the like main nuisance crime. But I've started thinking about buying mannequins and skeletons and propping them up at various points of the house, maybe holding weaponry. We'll talk about that a little bit later. What are your thoughts on mannequins and skeletons as home protection? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It reminds me of like Ferris Bueller when he had that dummy mm. moving in the bed. Yeah, um, I'm actually thinking more just something to completely freak out some would-be burglar. And I don't know. I've always really liked skeletons, like anatomically correct skeletons. There's a, a place in Berkeley where you can get like Neanderthal skeletons and stuff. I mean, obviously they're models of they're not the original neanderthal skeletons but i spent probably far too long there just studying these neanderthal skeletons and thinking hmm i could do my house in skeletons it's something that could possibly obviously as a married man it would never happen but it's something that i fantasize about similarly mannequins do you have any mannequins in your collection no i i you know just re- when i was cleaning out the attic mm-hmm. i we had we had a dumpster out back and i mm-hmm. threw so much stuff out i was like i'm just throwing it out I'm, mm. I'm throwing it out. I don't even care. Um, I did care. I actually went, I dug back in my, my own dumpster and took my silk screens out. That was the only thing I took back out. You were talking out. about that last recording. Yeah, I went and like took this, them out. How many years worth of silk screens do you have? Are we talking like 50 or are we talking 10 or how many are we talking? How many screens? Yeah. Uh, oh, there's only two, but you can oh. use them. You can wash them over of and course. over. So, of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but one I've had since high school. It's actually mm. from the high school. My teacher was like, "Yeah, you can have it. You've silkscreened more than anyone." <laughs> and I took the silk. I took the class, which was graphic arts, a fourth year, and you were only allowed to take it three years. I was like, "I'll trade my study hall in if I can go to this class." Wow. So, yes, yeah, so they let me have it. So I kept it. And I was like, ah, I threw it out, and I was like, "No, I'm keeping that, dude." <laughs> so what I kind went of back. t-shirts would you make? I mean, what, um, what kind of designs or things would you put on the t-shirts? Anything like hockey logos. Um, I okay. did one with Van Dam, Double Impact. Okay. I've did some Raytheon ones, a bunch of Raytheon mm-hmm. ones. Anything. I was just working on a um an action figure one, so I just did a graphic for that. Interesting. Um, it sucks because you can't. I don't have access to like the um the machine that exposes it. You know. Uh, yeah. Uh, and there's like a vacuum on it that keeps everything still. But there's like people on Etsy that will just. Mm-hmm. You can send them your screen or they'll just make you a screen. It's almost Certainly. cheaper to just, yeah. And, uh, so I don't know. I always like playing around, just, just making sure it's here and there. Mm. How far back does Raytheon go as like the character Raytheon? I mean, is this uh, like a teenage character or? No, cause I didn't know him in my teenage years. Okay. I knew art. I, I saw him like once or twice 
like mm-hmm. in the hallways. I was like, who is this freak, dude? So he's I was a like, scary who? older brother. I have a friend who has a scary older brother as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, I didn't even know, know him, you know, but art played hockey. So that's okay. how I knew art. And, uh, but yeah, I drew, I drew, um, a picture of Ted and I just thought his hair looked like triangular, how it came down. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's actually a cartoon. It is like influenced me is, is, um, the tick. And there's an yeah, episode no, the where they go to the bad guy's house and they dress yeah. up. And I think it's their flater mouse is like, I am the rake. And he just has a rake on. It's upside down. So it's like the opposite of Ted's mm-hmm. hair, but he just has a rake on his back. And I was like, Oh, Ted is the rake. And I just drew a picture of a rake coming down and that sort of. And then Ted's dad would always say Kuyans all the time. He would say mm-hmm. Kuyans, you know, so it became rake and then rake yawn. So that's how that. that Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We will get to Lee Webb later in the recording. If the pie doesn't get you first. I'm not sure how the pie is going, but let's try and work our way through the remaining questions. Uh. Things to look for when buying swords and armor. I'm embarrassed to say I had a listener, actually, a listener from Pittsburgh stopped by a couple of weeks ago and we were at a hunting kind of, well, it's a sports store, big five sports. And I thought, I don't own a ridiculously large kind of Bowie knife. So in the company of this listener, he, you know, was posing with the various arsenal weapons that you can get in these stores. I bought a Bowie knife, but I actually don't own any swords or any armor. And I feel embarrassingly naked in this conversation based on that. What are the things that you look for when you buy swords and armor, Brandon? Oh, I don't, oh, I don't have any armor. I have a sword. Somebody gave me the sword. Actually, I have two swords. One I was about to throw out. It's like a samurai sword. I don't yeah. even want it. It was a prop. Yeah. Um, then I have like a pirate sword. I've used that over and over in things. Yes. Uh, I think if I hit somebody with it, it would, the sword would break off the handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, um, I don't know. Coolness is what I look for. Uh, crossbows are pretty freaking cool. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I don't even know what I look for cause I don't know anything about the stuff. So if mm. it looks good in a picture or a skit, that's what I'm looking for. Very good. <laughs> Very good. We discussed this briefly i think perhaps last recording dean and deluca is the name of the place where i get my preserved meats when i'm in sonoma the sonoma area things you look for when buying sausage oh man i look for the sign above the store that says geis's market in the villas (laughs) of new jersey because that is like the best sausage dude the best sausage i've ever had was wild boar sausage that was killed by a very strange friend of mine is his name his Robert name? Baratheon? No. <laughs> his, I don't even know if I want to put his name out there. But he is legendary because he is just completely batshit crazy. He once robbed a friend of mine and left a trail of his blood for like two and a half miles. Oh. And then we traced the trail of blood back to his house. His father was a cancer doctor and his mother was a physiotherapist. And my friend was going apeshit because this guy had robbed him on the door. And basically his parents opened the door, his mother opened the door. My friend ran in and I talked to his mother and I just said, look, I'm really worried about your son because he's clearly lost a lot of blood. And my friend basically barged past and started pummeling on his door. Anyway, he opened the door and the guy was as white as a sheet. I mean, it was clear he'd lost a lot of blood. And my friend kind of said, show me your hands. And he put the wrong hand forward and then he slowly put the other hand up. But he'd woken his father up at night, and his father had actually sutured the hand. 
and he'd oh. lost a lot of blood through. Anyway, this guy was just nuts. I mean, it's funny. I didn't speak to him for probably three years. And then just before I left Australia, I was, I just dropped a girlfriend of mine at the um, airport and I was getting back into the city. I was waiting at a bus stop and this guy just crash tackled me out of nowhere. As a player of rugby league, you are familiar with the crash tackle. Um, <laughs> and it, it was this guy. And uh, he and I started talking again. I met a bunch of his strange friends. He was living in a semi-abandoned house. But anyway, he he would go hunting and produce the best wild boar sausage I can ever imagine. Really gamey and slightly chewy and just really interesting sausage. But aside from that, I have real trouble finding good sausage. And when I go out, we have an Italian place that's normally the best sausage in San Jose. Kind of fennelly and a bit gritty and... No, no. Yeah. What do you look for actually in the texture and the consistency of the sausage? I mean, what flavors are you looking for in sausage? Oh, I don't know. They can provide provide the flavors. I'll try whatever from this mm. one place. Um, they had like a bacon cheddar sausage, which mm. I normally don't go for. I don't mm-hmm. want like bacon or cheddar in it, but yes. uh, it, was un- it was unbelievable. But uh, if, as long as the casing is thin, I like, yes, it, like a really true. thin casing. I don't want to eat through scotch tape, you know. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm game for spicy, sweet, any anything like that. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to say it. Just good, good sausage. You know it when you taste it. But this place is like so freaking good. I had sausage for dinner tonight. Very good. From yeah. this place or just randomly selected mm. in the wild? No, just randomly selected. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't bring any back this time. Are you a connoisseur of preserved meats as well? No. Like thinly sliced meats? No, you're not. I, I, I like them, but no, mm-hmm. I don't go out of my way to look for them. Yeah. Do I you? Thought there are a few places where I like a dry ham and I like certain kinds of salami. And as a child, like salami for me was the richest food I could ever get exposed to. When I was growing up in Australia... My family, particularly after the divorce, would get what they call a side of lamb. I'm not sure if Lee Webb's ever told you about this. It's literally half a sheep. (laughs) So you get every aspect of the sheep from the brains to the tail. And that's what you eat from. So, you know, I mean, it was good eating, but it was very repetitive eating over long periods of time. And there are only so many ways you can cook various parts of the sheep. So for me as a child, whenever I'd get any salamis or anything like that, it was like, delectable and forget steak i mean we didn't we didn't have chicken breasts until i left australia i mean really? it's hard to really imagine how primitive it is. i brought a chicken breast into my mother's house just before i left australia and she thought it was cat food she oh. cut it up and served it to her cat she'd never seen anything like that then i explained to her that she could cook it i mean we'd eat whole chickens we'd, we'd you know roast whole chickens and this kind of stuff but the notion of like the breast meat actually taken out and presented was Anyway, that's the thing. So, for me, I like a particular kind of dried ham, which sometimes can get almost musty to the point of, like, almost, like, really curious. And I like certain kinds of salamis, but not all salamis. Usually a drier salami. Again, it's to do with the slicing. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I go for pepperoni. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if I, if I was going to get some kind of... Uh... Some kind the of thinly sliced meat. Pepperoni has a huge meat. amount of, of breadth as well. Like the quality of pepperonis that I have found in this country are extreme. You go from one, I think you can buy pepperoni on Amazon that doesn't require any refrigeration. Oh. And there's all this kind of really strange, <laughs> I know, 
there's some hideous pepperoni, man. There's like, there's pepperoni in like every supermarket where you like you open it and then you're not sure if you still have to open more plastic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like just don't eat that, dude. Don't eat it. Like I call that. It's like looks like a pair of nunchucks all the time. There's like two of them. I'm like, what nunchuck brownies, dude? They're so gross. Oh. Yes, there's certainly a lot of bad in the preserved meats area as well. So, I've had this topic for, like, months on our list. I'm just going to run with it, see what comes out of it. If we just dispose of it quickly, we'll dispose of it quickly. I find that there are things that I do as a married man, and there are various hobbies that I've attempted with my wife over many years. Do you have anything like this? Have you, in your husbandary role, found that a shared hobby might be something that you would do? Well, we like sushi. We like going mm. out and getting sushi oh, at yeah. this one place. Um, mm-hmm. We definitely do not go and see movies. No mm. movies whatsoever. Interesting. <laughs> uh, what else do we like? Oh, man. You want to pick it up while I think? Certainly. So photography early on, like I did photography in high school. Love photography. Yeah. But it was something where I really just passed it on to my wife. So I got her an SLR camera. And now she's like the photographer. This is her hobby, basically. We did cookie decorating for a period of time. She's so much better than I am. The one thing that we watch is we watch like true crime shows. So I talk periodically about unsolved mysteries. We'll watch forensic files. I think it's a really positive and important skill that your spouse is able to kill you in such a way that they will not be detected by the police. And I think when I look at this thing, I think it's really important that my wife and I when we start dissecting things, so, you know, when I'm suspecting a certain degree of poisoning or there are strange sharp objects that's mysteriously showing up, you kind of need to have this discussion. Like, that's like the guy in Maryland, so you better remember to wipe off the fingerprints before it ends up killing me. You know? <laughs> this water tastes like antifreeze, you know, all this kind yeah, of stuff yeah. spices up a marriage. <laughs> Do you have any others that you want to offer? I don't know, but there's one we watched. We watched stuff like that, too, and there's, like, one this lady was, I don't know, she's poisoning her husband or boyfriend mm-hmm. or whatever and she, with arsenic, and so the guy ends up going in the hospital, and she keeps baking them cookies, and they can't <laughs> figure out how he keeps getting sicker, and it keeps showing up more, and then they realize this lady's giving them arsenic cookies while he's in the <laughs> hospital. It's like, oh, dude, it's awful. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh. There's probably something. I don't know. I don't early on, know. Early on, my wife and I tried painting miniatures together, and that didn't work out well at all. It's interesting, actually, because my wife, for my 40th birthday, painted five orbs for me. And she oh, did really? it really covertly. Like, she did it really, really covertly. Like, she had paint set up that she would then hide. I mean, my wife and I keep slightly different hours. And it was a way in which she could do it in the transition, like, you know, I'd come home from work and stuff would be packed up and all this kind of stuff. But when we first got married in the UK, we went, actually probably we went to like this miniature place in Nottingham, Games Workshop um, HQ in Nottingham. She bought some miniatures and I bought some miniatures and we were going to paint them together. And after about an hour, she'd like left the brushes in the water and there were various techniques that she was just... She was funking up the miniature painting experience. <laughs> I have failed hobbies. I have failed hobbies with my spouse as well. So now um, we're on to your topics. Unless you have something you want to throw in, do you have a, a failed hobby or something? No, I was. I, my 
left my mind. I can't even think. It was something to do with uh, painting. You know what? I wanted to ask you, the miniatures you sent me, mm-hmm. are, uh, what is the actual name of those? Oh, so they're a combination. Some of them come... So Black Tree Design, which is Harlequin, um, are a majority of them. Black Tree Design, I don't even know. You put it into Google now and you get whatever that site is. They're a company out of Nottingham that like bought... They're historically probably Games Workshop figure sculptors that did it and then the main other ones that i've added is a guy called kev adams through a kickstarter so some of the adventurers the uh, monk guy uh, who's like standing on one leg with a bow stuff he's a kev adams and almost all the goblins are kev adams and i think some of the orcs i'm not sure about some of the orcs but they're this one sculptor called kev adams who was robbed i don't know maybe six years ago and the guy while he was being robbed nearly pulled out his eye socket and i've put a lot of money into kev adams i I tried to get him to commission a figure when I first came to the US in 2005, and I had some correspondence with him. He is, like, in terms of psychedelic drugs, he has taken a lot of psychedelic drugs. The stuff that he creates is strictly from, like, various experiences he's had. He's lived in the world of goblins for a length of time, and then he brings them back and creates them. (laughs) So probably a good number of the goblins are Kev Adams... Um, like I say, Black Tree Design, I don't know what else I sent you. I think almost all of them, when I came to doing the D&D night, I absolutely love the Black Tree Design ones because they're like Citadel, except they're still available in metal. If you're going to buy Citadel metal miniatures, you're going to be paying 20 bucks plus per miniature. Yeah. If you buy Black Tree Design, they're going to be $2 a miniature. Okay. I'll just provide the website to you. And yeah, they okay. have like vast quantities of stuff that you can still get. The Kev Adams, I've only gone through Kickstarters because I, I, like I, I might have told you, I put, I don't know, 300 bucks into a Kev Adams Kickstarter and I got 400 goblins back from that. It was like, I got my tax return. I need to buy something frivolous here. Yeah. I absolutely love Kev Adams and stuff. I've got every article the guy has written from when he was 20. And I think he's, in terms of like psychonauts, He's very difficult to correspond with. You won't be able... The people that commission his work that do it successfully are typically Europeans. They're typically Spanish guys. And they're guys that just... I don't know how they do it. But they just communicate with him and Mm -hmm. they get this stuff done. For me, it was like, he's going to design this miniature for me. Oh, this is really cool. No correspondence. Emailed him and it's like, who are you? What's going on? I mean, like, he's got that kind of memory loss aspect. Yeah. So it's just like... Mm, I'm just going to consume your work from a distance, Kevin. <laughs> but no, he's an amazing guy, and we share a few mutual friends that confirm that this guy is just like a serious psychonaut. I don't know, he's just like this crazy guy that generates these strange goblins and orcs, and they've all got like strange... When he did um, some of my favourite miniatures are what they're called his Chaos Renegades, which are like futuristic marines with like strange mutations of tentacles and like he's got some just amazingly bizarre psychedelic miniatures that he's sculpted through his lifetime probably mainly like i say black tree design and a good smattering of kev adam stuff as well do you have like a large orc with a large staff i think i must have sent it to you because it's not in my collection i was looking through it yeah. for a game i think i threw him in he's not a kev adams but he's certainly inspired by kev adams but anyway, I'll provide you the links, and there's a bunch of stuff on there as well. There's a whole lot of really curious-looking elves and things like that. And Yeah, they're know. cool. Yeah. They're, uh, they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the, the actual name. 
Yeah, I'll provide you the links. They're one of these things where you'd need to be... It's like inner knowledge, miniature stuff. It's not stuff that the general public would ever have any exposure to. It's because I've been, you know, looking for long periods of time. And this is one company that's actually stayed in business and, you know, still makes metal miniatures. Okay. Yeah. So where are we? Oh, we're onto your topics. Almost expired leftovers and when is it too old? Oh, yeah. Okay. You make mashed potatoes tonight, right? You have them mm-hmm. for dinner. Mm-hmm. You take the leftovers, you put them in the fridge. Mm-hmm. How long can you eat them for? Oh, man. Mashed potatoes are one of the few foods. It depends what you put in the mashed potatoes. Milk, butter, maybe even some cream cheese. Cream cheese? I've never had mashed potatoes with cream cheese. Oh, so dude. Like something I need to get into. <laughs> Look, mashed potatoes for me, I will, have, I will literally carve off mashed, solid mashed potatoes for probably... Mashed potatoes is one of the few foods which I will eat for... It depends what's in the refrigerator with them. Like, if they're sealed in the refrigerator, I would have them for four or five days following. But that's just because they're, like, sacred food to me. That's it? You wouldn't eat them, like, two weeks later? My wife and I... If if there is one folly in our relationship, my wife comes from a family that would drink... And I've been there, and I've experienced this. (laughs) I've actually had a can of soda that was five years old and my i've had so many (laughs) my in-laws basically never throw anything away and i once had this experience actually my grandparents place as well we went in through and they had like preservatives from the 1960s in the back of their cupboards and they'd moved they just moved the preservatives anyway so (laughs) my my in-laws are just unbelievable and my wife grew up in that experience and so my wife will typically allow things to say a lot longer than but speaking of uh, psychedelic experiences you seem to be this way as well this may be why we're kindred spirits i've had every possible kind of food poisoning i've had food poisoning where i have been like five day high fever hallucinations i had food poisoning so bad in vegas that my vision rebooted like i literally <laughs> couldn't see for a period of time and then i started seeing colors and shapes slowly and then i could see again and that was on uh, turkey so, I ate some nasty stuff in, in <laughs> Vegas too, man. I'm not even going to say the place, but <laughs> fuck, dude. I was like, I don't ever want to come back company, here. This was a company end of year Christmas party, and they had some turkey under heat lamps. <laughs> uh, my coworker, my coworker had like a thin slice, and he basically puked instantly. I lasted for 24 hours, and then my vision rebooted. I mean, I have never had food poisoning like that turkey. But in terms of, like, we've talked about double-ended food poisoning. We've talked about a wide variety of possibilities here. I've had every possible. And we're not even talking about, I mean, I mentioned it briefly, I think, last recording around Cool Whip. Oh. When I first came to this country, anything with preservatives. And if you stacked preservatives, I'd be out. I went for a period of time where when I ate out, all I ate was sushi because it was the only thing I could trust. I mean, I've had some seriously bad food poisoning experiences, uh, primarily in this country, but also occasionally in Australia and occasionally in the UK. It also has something to do associated with the nature of my work. I work in an environment where people are never sick. Like, if you're sick even once a year, it's kind of like, what? You're sick? What's going on here? What does, what make, this makes no sense. We're superhumans. <laughs> We're intellectual superhumans. We shall never get sick. So my view now is, uh, food poisoning is one thing that I can just avoid. By following a few simple steps. My wife, however, 
will be drinking expired milk <laughs> well, well into the expiration. I'm not that guy, unfortunately, anymore. I don't think I ever really was that guy, but the quality of food poisoning... What's your worst food poisoning experience, Brad? Let's cut to the chase here. Uh, I, I traded sandwiches with my friend at like two in the morning. I, I'm not even going to say the name of the place. I really want to. But I got a, I don't know, I got a hoagie, mm-hmm. some sort of like Italian hoagie. And he got a meatball sandwich. And we both wanted what the other guy had. So we traded. And I ate his meatball sandwich. And that did it. He, he had it. But I took the loaded bullet and ate it. And man, I had to go to the emergency room. I had an IV in. And uh, it was brutal, dude. It was, it was, it was, it just was, it just, I couldn't stop throwing up. I mean, it was like mm. all night into the next day, you know, mm. typical food poisoning. That was the worst, though. And then, um, and then they gave me medication that I was like highly allergic to. And, uh, I had like my muscles locked up mm. and I had to go back and get other medication. I was like, mm. I am never going to this place again. But you know what? It all comes from the friggin' heat lamps, dude. Heat yeah. lamps are the oh, they're the worst. I don't think I've ever been to the hospital because I typically I, hospitals just scare me. I mean, I spent uh-huh. a lot of time at hospitals as a child. I would I'd need to literally be on my deathbed in order to get into a hospital. So typically, when I have bad food poisoning, I just have a ritualistic procedure. I kind of curl up, gather fluids, but with the vision rebooting, I couldn't do any of that. I was like some helpless lamp. <laughs> and really, probably I should have gone to the hospital in that condition. Yeah, but, dude. Uh, so yes, I think this is the problem with expired leftovers. Like I am just so sensitive to being nearly killed. But I think the other thing is, when I came to this country, I was I was alone. Like I had a school friend come and stay with me for three weeks two years ago, and he said to me, "You came to this country and you knew no one." You had no family here and you constructed a life here on nothing. That was my life. And I had one experience actually when I was out and I met a school friend and we started with sushi. It ended up with me knocked unconscious and then trying to reconstruct what had happened because I had no memory. I'd been knocked out. It involved the police somehow. I woke up in a hospital and I had no memory of anything. And I got back to my uh, apartment and like that was... You know, October 2000 for me, arriving in the US. Ironically, and really curious, you talk about the paranormal, this is one of these strange things. An investor in a company that I was starting up at the time died in a plane crash exactly that night. Oh. And it was one of these strange synchronicities that while I was unconscious, she was literally liquefying. And, um, yeah, I came out of this thing. I had a huge cut across my forehead. Thankfully... I found, I mean, where we live currently is exactly this kind of area, but there are certain grocery stores where if you go to and you have like major gushes across your head and a black eye and this kind of stuff, no one's going to ask any questions. You go to like (laughs) a mainstream, like, um, you know, middle class kind of supermarket, people are going to look at you like rather curiously if you've got a large gash across your head and a black (laughs) eye. So I quickly went for this strange, like, little hole-in-the-wall Mexican supermarket where no one would ask any questions. And I shopped there for about a week. But, yeah, then I came out of it and heard about this woman who I'd been working with really closely being killed. And it was really very, very strange at the time. So, yeah, when I came to this country, it was life and death. And if something had happened like that, and, you know, things did happen. I mean, I ended up with no money. I had to make my way to the UK, you know, on a wing and a prayer, basically. So, I don't know, I was considerably more um, risky 
when I was younger. And I would take real risks that could actually kill me. It's a very profound place. Yeah, it sounds so like it. From that experience, I'm considerably, now I'm a married man with certain responsibilities and mortgage and this kind of stuff. I'm considerably more concerned associated with eating something that might kill me. Leftovers are there. Unfortunately. Yeah, I always, if, if you're getting close to the expired date or like the, you know, the point of no return, I always kind of think like, and you're thinking, well, I don't want to waste this food. I think, well, if you had food poisoning, would you pay like two bucks not to have it? And <laughs> the answer is always yes. So just throw it out. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm someone who actually goes through a refrigerator and throws out expired food. Much to the amusement of my wife. I mean, culturally, this is just not what my wife is from. And she always, like, jokes about it with her mother and this kind of stuff. But I'm happy with that. I'm happy not being food poisoned. The next topic, rubber band guns. Oh, yeah. You ever have a rubber band gun? Constantly. Like, the thing is, in Australia, the postman, I guess what's he called here, the mailman, would always wrap the letters with rubber bands. So if you were, like, first out to get mail, which was always me. In fact, I still have these strange obsessions with the mail again. More that my wife could talk about than me. The rubber bands, however, were a prize for going and getting the mail first. And there were those really thick, rubbery-smelling rubber bands that you could pull back along a standard school-size ruler quite comfortably. Yeah. How about you? No, you know what? I came across this, um, I found this rubber band gun, and I don't remember ever having it, but, uh, mm. it's like a, it's like an actual plastic gun with oh, yeah. this little yeah. spring on it, and, I don't know. I was kind of looking for a recommendation on, like, a small, awesome rubber band gun. So there are websites Um, now. The one that I love, which I've never purchased, is the uh, Gatling gun rubber band gun. Have you seen videos of this? It's like a spinning cylinder with, like, I don't know, must have, like, 16, probably 8 to 12, like, end things that just take off rubber bands individually. And they have footage of this where people are knocking down cassette tapes with them. Really? Um, Yeah. Now, I've never purchased this thing. And it's funny actually owning cats. My wife kind of drew the line at water pistols. I had water pistols for a period of time and they were too scary for the cats. So rubber band guns I'd love to own. But if you can vicariously, if I can live through you, Brandon, um, I will pass on uh, the YouTube. But yeah, now they make these very, very elaborate rubber band guns that can (laughs) fire multiple rubber bands at once. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to check it out. Oh, I got a question for you. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Real quick. Um, Model railroads. Uh, the trains, the the mm-hmm. scale or the gauge. If I have a mm-hmm. train set and it's um, G, is it G gauge or G scale? G scale is a funny one. So there are about five standards for G based on the kinds of trains that you have. So some of them are, oh, I want to say 142nd scale, and some of them are, there are a whole series of scales that all work on G track. Some of it is narrow gauge. So narrow gauge is that basically you have the same scale track, but you just put larger trains on it because there are a bunch of like mountain trains and some trains on the Second World War and stuff that had like narrower gauge track, but you still have the same gauge track. You just put larger trains on it. So the trains then fit in with scale and G scale has, I don't know, like I say, like three main standards and then probably two or three underlying standards, which are just slightly different scales, depending on whether you're dealing with like large format trains or this kind of stuff so you can do anything from a kind of log cabin train which is larger and slightly funkier to a standard you know amtrak train for want of a better example all within g scale and the trains just get bigger and smaller but the track remains the same width part basically okay okay thank you yeah uh well i i have i have a g scale 
train set and I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking of you cause I bought a shelf for it today and I uh-huh. said, you know, I'm so sick of having it packed away yes. and I was like thinking, I was saying, I don't want this thing or How whatever. How long is I, the shelf? Uh, eight feet. Okay. That's cool. That's a good display. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I said, uh, you know what? I'm just going to put it up on the wall. It fits GI Joe's perfect mm-hmm. and I'll put some, um, I'll put some lights on it or something oh, yeah. and that way it's always out. Definitely. I'll hang a wreath on it for Christmas Definitely. and I'll be, I won't have to unpack it. So Yeah. It's interesting, actually, these display things. I I occasionally go into army surplus places. When I was a kid, when I say kid, probably 16, 17, 18, I loved army surplus stores. And I would go in and buy really eclectic things. And my brother actually, you talk about a shelf to display things. My brother has a shelf in his house, which is like a memorial to me. And he's got like a gas mask that I had. Are you familiar with what a theodolite is? No. A theodolite is a building, you see it at building sites. They're basically the things that they use to work out distances on building sites. They're typically oh. on tripods, like a little monocle thing that they look through and they adjust some knobs and they can work out the distances from it. Yeah. A friend of mine, I don't know, I don't know how old he was, probably 13, ended up with a theodolite through mysterious circumstances. And as these things happened, I ended up with the theodolite. I also ended up with like an illegal, like a lot of the stuff that I had in Australia was illegal. Just because people would just dump it on me because the, the cops were never going to come to me. <laughs> so I was just like, you got all this stuff. I had a laser, which was illegal, which was like a, a military uh, issued laser. As soon as I left Australia, a friend came and picked that up, came picked up the old Moog synthesizer that I had, picked up like a bunch of the valuable stuff, and then left the fuel light and a gas mask, which was a Hungarian gas mask. So my brother has a shelf in his house with the fuel light, the Hungarian gas mask, and I think one other Tom related artifact. I was online. Thursday night, and I thought, right, why don't right. I own a Hungarian gas mask? Like, this was my thing. So I bought that. I bought binoculars based on your recommendation and a bunch of, like, army packs and also can- I had a canteen for the longest time in Australia. I think that's the other thing that's on my brother's shelf in this kind of memorial to my related stuff. So anyway. I never knew what those things were called. I'd always see them on tripods. Yeah. Looks. They're absolutely useless for anything. This is just like an artifact, really. We talk about artifacts and my love of artifacts. This was just an artifact. And no doubt, no doubt if my brother's house is ever raided by the police, that thing has got like a long and tortured history and there's probably warrants out for whoever like holds that thing. So let's just move on. There is no, I don't think there's any uranium in this theodolite, but there were some theodolites with uranium. You put in your list dodging heat seeking missiles. Yeah. Um, I was, I forget what I was watching, but I was like, mm. is it really that easy? I was like, it seems like it's pointless to have a heat-seeking missile because everyone's always just dodging them in the planes. They do like these barrel rolls exactly. and it always just misses or well, they cut up real quick. The thing about it is that heat-seeking missiles actually have a range to turn and that's their defect. Like every weapon has a defect. Heat-seeking missiles defect is that if you can turn and I mean, bullets are the same to a certain extent. If you run in different directions, then the person who's firing the gun has got difficulty a heat-seeking missile has a turning radius which is greater than most planes are able to plummet and this kind of stuff so yeah it's just a defect in the heat-seeking missiles i mean heat-seeking missiles get better and obviously as stingers are a good example of this if you have smaller missiles they will typically and stingers my understanding is both fins move or both the fins at the front and the fins at the back move to give them better turning but yeah that's just a defect in heat-seeking missiles basically (laughs) best junk food Oh, man. Funyuns are pretty good. I'm a fan of Funyuns as well. Interesting. Yeah. My wife yeah. is a huge fan of Funyuns. I'm salty versus sweet on most of these things. However, I do have a hankering for 
a candy called White Rabbits, which are like creamy toffee things covered in rice paper. I think they're Chinese originally. I bought a bag of White Rabbits recently, and I'm eating like... <laughs> My favourite is throwing them in the microwave. They're one of these toffee things where if you microwave them for like two seconds, they become the perfect toffee consistency. But um, yeah, normally salted stuff, I don't know, I ebb and flow. Increasingly though, just very occasionally, like once a month, I will get some thin deli sliced meat. And oh, I love olives. Olives don't really count as junk food, but I guess, you know. Yeah, I love olives too. Black olives, Ah, by far. Simple canned black olives. You and my wife. Same person. I did at all. Yeah. Kalamata's my least favorite. When I was a kid, they grow olives in Adelaide. Oh, I know they do. And I was walking somewhere, and I thought, oh, it's an olive tree. Because I was an idiot kid. And I put one of these things in my mouth. I ran for four miles to the nearest milk bar and, like, drank, like, a gallon of milk. Just, like, it was... (laughs) I never... And I didn't even know where a milk bar was. I just realized that if I ran for an extended length of time, I would eventually hit a place that would sell milk. And that's what I did. And I ended up in like a neighborhood that I'd never, it was an Italian neighborhood actually, that I'd never been to before. I kind of remembered that I'd run straight for most of it, but the taste of like a raw olive picked from the tree, this is a taste that you can't get out of your mouth for days. It like oh. tattoos itself into your mouth. Have you ever eaten a raw olive? No. It's the most disgusting thing you can ever, and they're really acrid. They're like Ugh. skunk. They're like, they're like, um, the smell of a skunk. <laughs> the smell of a skunk is actually sticky. For our non-North American listeners, you could drive past a skunk or even an area of a skunk and it will maintain the smell in the environment for a length of time because the smell itself is actually, it's like sticky. Olives are like that for the inside of your mouth. So, yeah. You asked for a garden update specifically associated with webby peppers. And then I think we're probably going to have to wrap this thing up unless you have a variety of topics that you want to throw out there. No, I'm good. I yeah. have been growing webby peppers and I realized I repotted some of them. So I have them in um, probably half gallon, gallon and three gallon pots through the week. I moved two of them to five gallon pots because I potted, repotted them from one gallon pots and they were packed with roots. They're tiny. Maybe mine is now starting to get to about two, two and a half inches. Potted them in five gallon pots within a week. Immediately the, the little flowers came out. They got to about six inches tall and the little flowers came out, which means that they're going to fruit pretty soon, hopefully. So I'm now thinking about moving them. But the main thing is that my peppers and your pepper are tiny, right? Yeah. And this indicates that the genetics have just, we've just come down like a line where Lee hasn't been breeding them for a while. So I communicated with Lee on Facebook. I, I got Art to, I posted the photos, Art picked it up, and uh, I got Art to connect me with Lee briefly. And Lee basically said that he's been traveling for the past, well, he's been traveling for a few years now, and that the seed stock isn't great. Like he used to do like original generations and then multi-generations. And my suspicion is just that the seeds that he has now would just produce these dwarf plants going forward, unless he's got some magical way to recombine them um <laughs> so yeah when, when you next speak to him please share your experience uh with them because it, originally and this is standard with these scientific folk he said well it could be the soil or it could be the genetics which i i get it could be the soil from a lot of people and um i've used a variety of different kinds of soil with these peppers i started out they were all in the same punnet pots but i moved them to a wide variety of different kinds of soils and uh, different mixes and a bunch of different stuff. And they're all tiny. So, but I'll get peppers, hopefully. And uh, I don't know what I can do with them. 
I passed four of them on to a co-worker, and his are like yours. They're all about an inch tall. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I'm curious to see how they come out. Putting them in, I don't know. I mean, when I repotted them, they had really, really fine roots, which just indicates to me they probably should be in garden beds of some size. The seed stock is wrong now. Like, the genetics, he's, he's bred down to a line of dwarf plants. Either he recombines them, which he doesn't seem to be, you know, talking about, or... I don't know. They're just dwarf peppers going forward, basically. Yeah, maybe so. He's got one plant over at his house with a bunch of with a bunch of peppers on it, but that mm. was it. He used to have so many more. Hmm. This is what happens. I mean, when you buy commercial seeds, they're typically bred for hybrid vigor or at least vigor, and these plants have absolutely no vigor. It's like he's bred down for very particular characteristics. He talked a little bit in the Facebook post associated with the characteristics he was looking for. But this is, I mean, so I grow tomatoes and peppers and a variety of little bits and pieces over many seasons. And you take them into seasonally and you grow them into seasonally in order to get, you know, stronger plants and this kind of stuff. But it just sounds like he's been traveling for yeah. know, the past few summers and what's happened's happened. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. You asked for a remaining garden update. I'm going to put, I bought, I grew a series of early fruiting tomatoes and they're almost all done now. And what I did was the ones that I really liked, I scraped the seeds as I was cutting them for various salads and what have you, and I've repotted those. So my hope is they grew pretty quickly and they came out with fruit pretty quickly. So my hope is I can get an additional, you know, end of season group of fruit from that. But I'm going to be putting them to bed pretty soon. I've got a lot of chili peppers now. I've got Thai chilies, which I grew from literally going to a Vietnamese grocer and picking out because I bought um heirloom seed thai chilies and they didn't come up so i just went to some vietnamese grocer and got a bag with chilies and cut them up and put them in got those seeds and i've got what they call five no eight alarm chilies which are longer fatter thai chilies uh and i've got wavy peppers and i don't know i might grow some other stuff for the end of season but i now historically i always grew in beds and i had beds that i maintained and i had winter beds as well that i grew onions and garlic and a bunch of other stuff in but now i grow in pots exclusively just because of the nature of the garden and also we've got a neighbor with a fence that's not particularly well maintained and i'm just waiting for that thing to break <laughs> i don't want to put in plants and then have to so yeah i'm using what i call a vietnamese technique because my vietnamese neighbors all they do is pot pot their gardens in three to five gallon pots and that's basically the way i've got some 10 gallons next year i'm going to do the tomatoes in 10 gallons five gallon tomatoes I don't know, just after a period of time. You're watering them on a daily basis, but just the heat and stuff gets to them in five gallons. It's not big enough. It was okay when I was on a deck in some apartment complex, but out in a, a backyard is not the right way to do it. So that is my garden update. We should probably wrap this show up while the Skype gods are still allowing for some kind of communication. Yeah, sounds good. It's been a pleasure as always. Enjoy your pie. Thanks, Tom. Have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. In Australia... Christmas comes in the middle of a very hot summer, so when Santa Claus delivers his presents, he's not taken around by reindeer because they can't stand the terrible heat. He's taken around by six big white old man kangaroos called the Six White Boomers. Early on one Christmas day, a joey kangaroo was far from home and lost in a great big zoo. Where's my mummy? They've taken her away. We'll help you find your mummy, son. Hop up on the sleigh.
Matthew Keane asks, this, I guess, is aimed specifically at you, Brandon. Breast, sorry, let me start that again. Best G.I. Joe. <laughs> let me start that again, damn it. This is Tom <laughs> editing. Saturday evening, Tom. Uh, you gotta, you can't imagine the amount of editing I put into this podcast. Brandon. Let's start this whole thing again. 